Hi, my name's Clayton, and you're listening to the Isaiah 43 podcast, where we explore how God has formed us, redeemed us, and how He calls us today. Each week we will journey through Scripture to understand all that God has done, and what exactly His call is for our lives today. This is week 40, an apologetics week, where we combat the world's lies with God's truth. Like the past several topics we have discussed this month, this week's topic was submitted by you. So if there's a topic you would like to see or learn more about, be sure to email us at isaiah43podcast at gmail.com. Until then, what is our topic today? Well, this was submitted in the aftermath of the terrorist attacks on Israel by Hamas. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details surrounding that today. That is not what we are here for. But rather, what we are going to discuss is the atrocities. As of October 22nd, the time of this recording, 29 Americans have been killed, 1,400 Israeli citizens have been brutally killed, and another 4,600 have been wounded. This includes the horrific beheading of infants, the horrific raping of women and children that have been so brutal that the pelvis bones have been shattered. There are also been an untold amount of kidnappings. Meanwhile, the Palestinian death count has now risen to 4,651, with another 14,000 wounded, according to the Health Ministry of Gaza. The United Nations is also reporting that over 40,000 residents have been forced to flee their homes due to the conflict. Now, already just talking about this, I know it weighs heavy on me as we reflect on the massive loss of life on both sides. I'm sure that it does you too. Which is why our listener submitted the question that she did. She asked, why would God allow these horrific things to happen? Now, this is something that we studied over the course of several weeks back at the beginning of the podcast when we asked, if God is all good, then how can evil exist? We spent weeks four through eight studying this particular topic. Yet, I think it's good for us to come back to it and reevaluate the subject because, honestly, it is something that is really difficult that deep down all of us naturally wrestle with. I'm not going to rehash all the stuff that I previously discussed because God's scriptures always have something new for us each and every time that we examine them. However, this is an apologetics week, so we will look at how the scriptures point us to the answer, and then we will look at what apologists, pastors, and theologians have had to say on the subject. But before then, we have a difficult topic ahead of us, so we need God's guidance. And for that, we need to pray. So let us pray. Father, we come before you today, and I ask for the wisdom to speak to whoever is listening this day, Lord, that they may have some semblance of an answer, Father, because this topic is one that we all struggle with and that the whole world struggles with, especially non-believers, Lord God. But we know that you are sovereign and that you are in control of all things, even when we don't know what's going on, Lord. We ask that you will be with us in this discussion, that we will feel your presence wherever we are, whether that's in the car ride to work or to home, or whether that's just simply sitting in our house, our homes, just listening to whatever it is your scriptures have for us today, Father. I pray that you will be with the listener, wherever they may be, Lord, that you will you will bless them mightily, Lord, that you will you will open the doors that they are waiting for you to open, and you will... You will deliver them from whatever sin and things that they are struggling with, as I pray that you will help all of us, Lord, in the time of our need, Lord. Please lead us, guide us, and direct us in all things for your glory. 
because that is all that matters, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, there's something very clear that we have to understand. There's simply not just a quick, short answer that we can just spout out. There's not a quick fix to this question as much as we would like for there to be one. Sometimes there is an answer, and sometimes, unfortunately, there isn't. There are two passages of Scripture that I want us to look at. First, let's look at what I would argue is the easiest answer. That would be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. We will be reading from the ESV or English Standard Version. So once again, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 17. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addressed, addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there with whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be out of, put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no cho chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now here, Scripture teaches us that sometimes when suffering happens in the world, we find that it is because of God's discipline in our lives. God disciplines us because he loves us. We may view it as suffering, but we must reevaluate our lives and see if it is aligned with what Scripture teaches us. If we are living in sin and doing all sorts of things that God would be displeased by, then yeah, there's going to be suffering in our lives. It is like I have said before, there's a point in everyone's life when God smacks us around a little bit. In that moment, we either respond to His discipline or we run the other way. That decision is what matters. That's suffering of one kind, yet Sometimes there is suffering and pain in the world, and unfortunately, we will never get an answer why it's happening. God tells us in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There is someone who knows this better than anyone. That would be our friend Job. You see, Job's friends held to the thought that we just discussed. Perhaps God was punishing Job because of some sin in his life. But we know from chapter 1 of Job 
that he was a righteous man who loved and respected God. So then the question becomes, why is Job suffering like he is? God answers Job in Job chapters 38 and 39. I think it's important that we read them. So Job chapter 38 and 39. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. For who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sing together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. For who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and, and wicked shall be shaken from it? Is it changed like clay under the sill, and its features stand out like a garment? From the wicked their light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare it if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness? that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the path to its home. You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hell, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt? to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass. Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whom's wound did the ice come forth, and who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you leave the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of heaven? Can you establish their rule on earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of water may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts of our, or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the earth, of the heavens? When the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together. Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie to wait in a thicket? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? Job chapter 39 Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the doves? Can you number the months that they fulfill, and do you know the time when they give birth, when they crouch, bring forth their offspring, and are delivered of their young? Their young ones become strong, they grow in the open, they go out and do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosened the bonds of the swift donkey? 
to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place. He scorns the tumult of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the furrow with ropes, or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great, and will you leave to him your labor? Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich were wave proudly, but are they the pinions of and plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs to the earth and lets them be warmed on the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and that the wild beast may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young, as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain, yet she has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom and given her no share in understanding. When she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at the horse and his rider. Do you give the horse his might? Do you cloak his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like the locust? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exults in his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar. The thunder of the captains and the shouting. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spread his wings towards the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey. His eyes behold it from afar. His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there he is. We read all that, and we may come away thinking, What? I'm lost. Well, if we don't come come walking away feeling like Job's response in chapter 42, where he states, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful to me, which I did not know, then here's the summation of it all. Mankind cannot know or understand the ways of God. Yes, there is terrible, terrible suffering in the world. We can try to blame Adam and Eve and the fall of mankind. We can try to blame the devil. We can try to blame whoever we want, but at the end of the day, sometimes we don't have an answer. God is not obligated in the slightest to give us a reason for suffering. He owes us nothing, and what he has given and continues to give us should be something we remember and hold on to. Now, this is an apologetics week, after all, so we have some preachers, theologians, and apologists to look at today, too. Our first apologist this week is R.C. Sproul. Sproul passed away in 2017 at the age of 78. But before his passing, he wrote over 70 books and founded Ligonier Ministries. In one of his books titled, Now That's a Good Question, Sproul writes, quote, Since we believe that God is the author of this planet and is sovereign over it, it's inevitable that we ask where he is when terrible things take place. I think the Bible answers that over and over again from different angles and in different ways. We find our first answer, of course, in the book of Genesis in which we're told of the fall of humanity. God's immediate response to the transgression of the human race against his rule and authority was to curse the earth and human life. Death and suffering entered the world as a direct result of sin. We see the concrete manifestations of this in the realm of nature, where thorns become part of the garden and human life is now characterized by the sweat of the brow and the pain that attends even the birth of a baby. 
This illustrates the fact that the world in which we live is a place that is full of sorrows and tragedy. But we must never conclude that there is a one-to-one correlation in this life between suffering and the guilt of the people on whom tragedies fall. If there were no sin in the world, there would be no suffering. There would be no fatal accidents, no random shootings. Because sin is present in the world, suffering is present in the world. But it doesn't always work out that if you have five pounds of guilt, you're going to get five pounds of suffering. That's the perception that the book of Job labors to dispel. As does Jesus' answer to the question about the man born blind in John chapter 9. On the other hand, the Bible makes it clear that John, that God rather, lets these things happen and in a certain sense ordains that they come to pass as part of the present situation that is under judgment. He has not removed death from this world, whether it's what we would consider an untimely death or a violent death. Death is part of the nature of things. The only promise is that there will come a day when suffering will cease altogether. The disciples asked Jesus about similar instances. For example, the Galileans' blood that was mixed with the sacrifices by Pilate or the 18 people who were killed when a temple collapsed. The disciples asked how this could be. Jesus' response was almost severe. He said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Again, bringing the question back to the fact that moral wickedness makes it feasible for God to allow these kinds of dreadful things to take place in a fallen world. End quote. I think Dr. Sproul illustrates this point perfectly. But I want us to take a look at one other apologist before we wrap up today. Originally, I wanted to look at an apologist that has done some incredible work that has helped me along in my faith. I wanted to read a bit of Lee Strobel's interview with Peter, Dr. Peter John Kreef, which can be found in Strobel's book titled The Case for Faith. However, I was reminded of someone else's work while I was rereading this interview, and I think what he wrote is better suited for our discussion today. And that would be Pastor John R. W. Scott. Stott passed away in 2011 at the age of 90, but before he was an, e- an, an Anglican priest, my bad, an avid writer, and a major leader in the modern-day evangelical movement. In 2005, Time magazine named him one of the 100 most influential people in the world. In his book titled The Cross of Christ, Stott wrote, quote, I, could never, I could never myself believe in God. If it were not for the cross... In the real world of pain, how could one worship a god who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I have to had turned away, and in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. Our suffering become more manageable in light of his. There is still a question mark against human suffering. But over it, we boldly stamp another mark, the cross, which symbolizes divine suffering. The cross of Christ is God's only self-justification in, a wor- in such a world as ours. End quote. 
The question that was first asked to me at the beginning of all this was why would God allow these things to happen? It boils down to the question of suffering. Why does God allow suffering in the world? I told you that there would be not a simple answer. It's not an easy question, so why would the answer be any easier? God allows suffering as discipline for us. God allows suffering so that even greater good things can come. God allows suffering so in the end He can be glorified and we can be reconciled to Him. But then sometimes we don't get an answer. And we have to know that God's thoughts and ways are not our own. God's Word tells us that there will be suffering in this world, but I want to leave you today with some encouragement. First, I am reminded of a quote from a former U.S. president. He said, He promised that there will never be a dark night that does not end. And by dying for us, Jesus showed how far our love should be ready to go. All the way. That is not the only thing I am reminded of. In all of this darkness and suffering in the world, I am reminded of the words written in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. I think these are perfect words to end on. So my dear brothers and sisters, until next Friday, until we virtually meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless.